So my alarm set here. Um, we'll just start with a word of prayer here. Lord, we thank you so much for this place, for this day, just to come together and just learn about more of your word, Lord. Um, help us, Lord, just to seek more of your righteous judgment in our lives, Lord. Help us just to, to mold us in how you want us to be, Lord. Help us just to seek that and to seek more of your will in our lives. Um, we just pray this in, in Jesus' name, Lord. Just, just be with our meeting, Lord. You've blessed us so much. Continue to bless us, Lord. In the name of Jesus, amen. And so I got Ella's permission to be able to pick on her a little bit here. Um, she's into weightlifting. And at your gym, there's, there's a coach there, right? And so your interaction with your coach, your coach is there to what, probably critique your movements. So if you're doing Olympic weightlifting, it's easy maybe to let the bar get away from you. Maybe even put yourself where you might injure yourself. So the coach is probably what um, helping you avoid injury, help you avoid setback, but also helping you maybe, maybe get stronger. Maybe um, uh, we're probably familiar with bench press, right? Your, your strength isn't out here. The thing of your strength is like pushing someone. Your, your arms sometimes have to be closer together, and they might give you that tweak. Like, hey, um, Elle, just make your, uh, put your arms in a little bit closer. Or it might be the uh, same with the bench press uh, there. Um, plant your feet. You need, a, you need a solid base there to be able to get strength. Believe it or not, planting your feet will help you put more weight up. Um, and sometimes God's that way with us, or Jesus is that way, just, 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 just tweaking us. Just, a, a, hey, you're doing this. Just, let me just make a little subtle adjustment here. And, and we can see that in our lives. And uh, there's parts of Scripture where we see Jesus as our high priest just making little tweaks there. Um, and that's often what God's doing in our lives. It's a, it's a minor tweaks. I'm not worried about all of a sudden like doing hard drugs or anything like that, right? But maybe it might be one of those things that... Uh, um, she likes walking her dog. And maybe it's the walking her dog that's getting in the way of her Bible study or whatever that might be. That's something presumably innocent at that point when it takes more of a place where it shouldn't take, that's when we fall. And I'm guilty of that one. I think we're all probably guilty of that one. We have to keep our focus on the word and what God wants in our lives. Um, and it's, it's easy to slip up there, but we have to keep our focus there. We have to be praying for that. And... Um, Sometimes God can make changes in our lives when we aren't even doing anything wrong. And uh, maybe it's uh, like Bobby Missy, hey, I want you all to go to Paraguay and be ministers there, be uh, missionaries there, uh, and help those people. And I'm like, you're sending me to Paraguay all of a sudden? Like, this is kind of random. Or maybe um, it might be when we're not we're doing anything wrong, maybe it might be to our pastor, hey, I want you to change the way we're doing communion. And you're like, hey, are we doing something wrong here? And you might be, no, you're not doing anything wrong. Well, why would we change how we're doing communion? Um, he's like, and God might be saying, hey, uh, I want you to do this while emotions are calm. While everything's easy, while this is going to be an easy change to make. And Greg, you might be thinking, hey, you know what? That server character, he's pretty stubborn. He's not going to like this change. Um, he, well, what am I going to do about any of this pushback here? And God will say, you know what? Hey, I'll take care of this. Don't worry. That, that server character will pray to me about it. And I'm going to give him peace, you know? I'm, as I'm the God of uh, the Sabbath, I'm the God of uh, communion. And um, I don't care so much about the grapes, the juice. I don't care so much about the cracker. I care about that heart condition. And um, so those of us are just like, hey, is this really the change that we need to be making? We went to God, we prayed about it, and God gave us peace. God gave me peace about it. I think God was definitely um, leading our pastor in the right way there, right, to, to, to make this change. And when you're looking back over time, like, wow, God made that timing perfect there, and that change, because if we had to do that while emotions were higher during COVID, it could have been a stumbling block for our meeting. I'm not saying it would have been, 
But if we were communicating via email, it would have been easy, possibly, to misinterpret what someone's saying. Um, it's just easier to make change while emotions are calm. And I think God definitely blessed us in that area. And it's easy sometimes looking back and I say, oh, yeah, God, God had our meeting in his hand this entire time and was blessing us and was blessing our pastor. And that's what we have to be seeking as a congregation, just his will in our life. Um, but, yeah, uh, so this example kind of a sometimes when things are, are changed and we aren't even doing anything wrong. But that, the subtle critique, it might be not that we're doing something wrong, but um, we're doing things right, and he's just still going to change us. Um, other times we might be in our walk, and we aren't seeing that spiritual growth. Um, and you're just kind of like, I'm, I'm not really seeing this, but our spiritual growth sometimes going to be like maturing. Um, Ian, you're what, 28? 28. So maybe Ian didn't see himself growing from day to day, but when he looks back 10 years, he can absolutely see his growth. He can absolutely see his hand of God on him. Maybe absolutely see, uh, hey, God protected me from this. Hey, God kept me out of that. God, whatever that might look like. We, we can see that looking back, but we might not see that day to day, and that's okay. As long as we're staying on what God wants us to be, we'll be blessed, even if we don't necessarily see him. Um, and then looking at the Bible is kind of interesting. You almost have two extremes. You have the people in Christianity that almost don't even want to recognize the day of Pentecost or don't even want to recognize like the future things have come. And then you have others that like all they want to do is dwell on um, God's judgments and future things. They're just kind of like, well, we need to embrace the entire gospel. We need to look at it all. And um, there are some sweet passages of the Bible. What, uh, what are some typical sweet passages that come to mind? What are some like encouraging verses? And anyone want to just shout one out to me? What's... Uh, Romans 8.20, what's that one? Can you spit up? Perfect, that's it. Um, what, what, maybe uh, 23rd Psalm? That's another positive one. I feel like all of Philippians, pretty much, pretty much the whole book is almost quotable. Um, I feel like if Anna was here, she'd be firing these off right and left, right? Um, so we have that sweetness. We can agree that there's that sweetness in the gospel. But there's also some of those things that when we start to look at some of God's judgments, we can say, man, this is kind of bitter. This is kind of making my stomach churn uh, are you sure about this, God? And eventually we have to get to the point in our walk where we agree with God's judgments. Um, we have to welcome God's judgments in our lives. We have to welcome God's judgments for our meeting, for the world, um, for Christendom as a whole. God is a just God, and we just, we just really just have to see that and not push back on him on that. And there's always mercy in God's judgments. Um, we can always call upon the name of the Lord. Um, do we have an example, though, of that uh, sweetness and that, that, that kind of bitterness in the Bible? We actually do. Um, we'll see it in um, uh, Revelation 10, 8 through 10. I don't know if anyone wants to take this one or I can take this one. Um, Revelation 10, verses 8 through 10. Then the voice which I heard, spoke, uh, which I heard from heaven spoke to me again and said, Go. Take the little book, which is open in the hand of the angel, who stands on the sea and on earth. So I went to the angel and said to him, Give me the little book. And he gave it, and he, and he said to me, Take and eat, and it will make your stomach bitter, but it will be as sweet as honey in your mouth. Then I took the little book out of the angel's hand and ate it, and it was sweet as honey in my mouth, but when I had eaten it, it made my stomach bitter. And I like how we kind of have that picture of God's word there. You have that, that sweetness, the, the positive verses. But then you also have some of those judgments. And you're like, well, are you sure about this God? And yep, he, he's sure. We, we got to agree with him there. And I like how he takes the whole book. And we have to take in the whole word of God there. 
But um, other other areas of uh, judgment there, we if looking at Revelation one there, um, we'll see a picture of God or of Jesus in kind of a priestly garment, being our high priest. And we kind of think of the high priest. What was one of the roles of the high priest? Uh, kind, of, kind of be the community dermatologist, if you will, to uh, be able to point out uh, leprosy, to be able to uh, point out sin. That, that's what Christ is doing in our lives, just, just, just pointing things out that we want him to be able to remove. We want him to finish us. Um, we, we, we see that there. Um, anyways, in Revelation, in Revelation is one of those books that can be very, very difficult to wrap our minds around. Some of the language there is, is it's written sometimes in a symbolic language. And we have to really understand those symbols, and it's easy to get things wrong looking at future things to come. Um, but in Revelation 1, God makes it very, very clear what he's talking about. He spells it out for us. If we look at Revelation 1.20, um, we'll see Jesus walking around these candlesticks, and he has these stars in his hand, and God tells us exactly what these are. If you look at Revelation 1.20, it says, The mystery of the seven stars which you saw in my right hand... Um, and the seven golden lampstands, the seven stars are the angels of the seven churches. So when we think about the angels, another name for angels, uh, messenger, uh, it can be pastor. So this is written to our pastor, but we can also learn from it too. Um, the seven lampstands, which you saw are the seven churches. So these were seven churches that existed at that time, but they also apply to the condition of Christendom as a whole today. The different churches we see that fall under the branch of Christendom, and it's interesting, when you, when you read through it, there's only two that he doesn't tell to repent. And when we're doing something wrong, God doesn't want us to, uh, like the disciples, oh, should we call fire down from heaven to consume it? No, he wants them to repent. That's what God's always wanting us to do. Um, it's just interesting, but going through that whole passage there, like just starting there with uh, Revelation 1, uh, 12 through 20 there. Um, Ian, do you mind taking this one? His head and hair were white like wool, as white as snow, and his eyes like a flame of fire. His feet were like fine brass, as if refined in a furnace, and his voice as the sound of many waters. He had in his right hand seven stars, out of his mouth went a sharp two-edged sword, and his countenance was like the sun shining in its strength. And when I saw him, I fell at his feet as dead. But he laid his right hand on me, saying to me, Do not be afraid. I am the first and the last. I am he who lives and was dead, and behold, I am alive forevermore. Amen. And I have, written, I have the keys of Hades and of death. Write the things which you have seen, and the things which are, and the things which will take place after this. And thank you. My, my voice is getting dry there. I left my water back in my seat there. Um, so we see that priestly garment. We see his uh, wool, um, I mean his hair, white as wool there. Um, the, that, the righteousness there, the, um, the purity. We see the, uh, the brass there, the, the, the kind of judgment, if you will. But, uh, and then seeing something in front of the sun, yeah, I would probably fall down too on that. And the, that, that, just that kindness there, the, the laying his hand on him, hey, do not be afraid. I'm the first and the last. It's just that kindness, that mercy there with God. But this is happening now. I think a lot of times in Christianity we think, oh, you guys are talking about how 
you're looking to the returning of Christ, and we do. We needed to be looking for God, Christ returning with a sense of urgency. And we're like, oh, that's, that, you've been saying that for 2,000 years, and you guys don't know when the, that's coming back. All true. But this, this judgment, this is happening now. This, we need to be taking this with a sense of urgency. He's walking among those candlesticks now, judging us. Um, and that's good. We need to welcome the judgment. Uh, Ella probably welcomes the judgment of her coach, right, to help her get stronger, to help keep her from injury. Um, and it's a good thing. If we look at Christ having a, uh, the ability to be able to judge, we'll see that in John 5, uh, 26 and 27. Um, Zach, do you mind taking that one for us? So God gave him the authority to execute judgment. This is our judge. This is our high priest. Um, if you want to go Old Testament, um, we can look at Jeremiah 17.10. Um, Ethan, do you mind taking that one? I, the Lord, search the heart. I test the mind, even to give every man according to his ways, according to the truth of his doing. So that shows God as the judge. God's judgment is good. When we think of judgment, it's easy just to go back and look at the flood. Um, We'll see the flood there in Genesis 6, um, 5 through 13. And you'll see the wickedness of man there. It's on full display. And it's interesting. If we think about God's judgment, they're like, oh, wow, he caused a bunch of people to drown. Um, How's this being merciful? And you're like, well, there actually is mercy there, believe it or not. Um, And I'm not making light of drowning. Um, I don't know if the United States still does this, but we used to waterboard our enemies to get uh, information out of them. Like, drowning isn't something to take lightly. Um, it would not be a pleasant experience. But looking there in Genesis uh, 5 through 13, we see the, the condition of mankind at that time. And it's interesting. We see that Noah found grace in the sight of the Lord. And I don't know if that's the first time. I should have done my research on this. We see the word grace, but it might be. Um, but Noah found grace in the sight of the Lord. Um, but think about that, that evilness, that wickedness that's on man. God's judgment... Yes, he caused a lot of them to die. He, he sent the floods, and, and they all died. But some of those people, if he didn't send that, if they kept living their lives that way, in their wickedness, they would have died and gone to hell, spent eternity in torment, eternity away from Christ, that separation there. There were some of those that called on the name of the Lord during the flood, and they were saved. God didn't remove them from their predicament. They still drowned. But it was that grace showing, it was that taking them to a place to finally call upon the name of the Lord. And that's what God's going to be doing some of these judgments. Um, there's always that mercy there. Um, we can look at that, that wickedness there, that 6 through 13. Then the Lord saw the wickedness of man was great in the earth, and that every intent of the thoughts of his heart was on evil continually. And the Lord was sorry that he had made man on the earth. And he was grieved in his heart. So the Lord said, I will destroy man whom I have created in the face of the earth, both man and beast, creeping things, and the birds of the air, for I am sorry that I have made them. But Noah found grace in the eyes of the Lord. And this is the genealogy of Noah. Noah was a just man, perfect in his generations. Noah walked with God. And Noah begot three sons, Shem, Ham, and I'm going to butcher up this next one here, Japhet. Sounds French, not French. Um, and the earth was also corrupt before God. And the earth was filled with violence. So God looked upon the earth, and indeed it was corrupt. And for all flesh had corrupt corrupted their ways their way on the earth 
So then in 13 we read there, And God said to Noah, The end of all flesh has come before me, for the earth is filled with violence through them, and behold, I will destroy them uh, with the earth. And so he's proclaiming that judgment. But it's interesting. You, you, we, we talked about the ones calling on God, having, having that mercy there. He also creates a, a symbol of that. We know the, the rainbow that he creates afterwards for, uh, that he won't forget his uh, agreement with us, that covenant. We read that in uh, Genesis 9, 12 through 17. Mainly looking at uh, verse 15b, but uh, Genesis 12 through 17. And God said, this is a sign of the covenant which I make between me and you and every living creature that is with you for perpetual generations. I set my rainbow in the cloud, and it shall be a sign of the covenant between me and the earth. And it shall be when I bring a cloud over the earth that a rainbow shall be seen in the cloud. And I will remember my covenant, my agreement, that is between me and you and every living creature of all flesh. The water shall never again become a flood and destroy the, uh, all flesh. So that's really what that picture is, that the waters will never again become a flood and destroy all flesh. The rainbow shall be in the cloud, and I will look on it to remember the everlasting covenant between God and every living creature of all flesh that is on the earth. And God said to Noah, this is the sign of the covenant which I have established between me and all flesh that is on the earth. Um, there's mercy in this, uh, after this judgment. There's mercy in the judgment. We can still call on him. Um, where else do we see that rainbow like that, though? If you turn to, uh, back to Revelation 10 there, um, 10.1. We'll read, I saw another mighty angel come down from heaven, clothed with a cloud, and a rainbow was on his head. Um, his face was like the sun, kind of like what we just read, and his feet like pillars of fire. That rainbow's still right there on his head. He always has that mercy, even in his judgments. His judgments are good. We have to welcome his judgments. Um, we kind of see what else we see there. We see uh, clothed with a cloud. Um, think more Hebrews 12.1a there, if you will. Um, Therefore, we also, since we are surrounded by uh, so great a cloud of witnesses, think redeemed humanity that's going to be there with him. Um, so we're starting to warm up to Jesus' judgments and realize they're good. Um, well, we, let's start to dive into those uh, seven churches and what he has for them. And I don't know how much of this we're going to get through there, but... Uh, this is written by John. Then um, we read there in John 21, 20 through 22. Um, Judah, do you mind taking that one for me? And it's interesting that one he's talking about that we know the one the the, uh, the disciple that Jesus loved is John, and that's what he's pointing. He's like, hey, what, what's uh, this guy's role? Hey, hey, what's that to you? you? You focus on what I have. Like, what your father's role is is different than my role, right? And we just have to answer to God. We have one church, one body, Christ the head of it. That's always who we have to be focused on. Um, but it's interesting this whole, if I will that he remaineth till I come. What's that to you? John does see what that is. He writes the book of Revelation. It's just kind of interesting. He has this, but um, it doesn't really in the way that they saw it. Um, but John was banished or exiled to the island of Patmos uh, for his testimony of Jesus, we read. 
And so it's interesting. God allows him to be put here to be able to have this revelation. He can use us in our own circumstances, even if we're doing his will, even if it seems like it's something bad. Um, if you look at Daniel being in captivity there with the children of Israel, um, I mean, he was probably um, a eunuch. I mean, we know he served with them. He had bad things happen to him, but he still honored God. He still served God. Even with the bad things, he didn't start complaining. We don't read about him bashing God. We read about him serving and being faithful there. And so in Revelation here, even though he's, he's exiled to that thing, he has this... Uh, a revelation of Christ there. And, and Paul had a revelation of Christ too that we read about. Um, but to these seven churches, God's really telling them, hey, these things, I guess he tells the seven or five of them, these things I have against you, I want you to fix this. And we'll, we'll dive into that more probably next week. Um, but the churches existed at that time. There are churches that we see in Christendom today, just more states of Christianity. And um, we want to be like that Philadelphia assembly, the one that God doesn't have anything against, the one that we're welcoming as critiquing, the one that we can uh, be a light to the rest of the world. Let's see how much time we have here to dive in. That's six more minutes. Um, so if we look there, starting when he, when he starts looking at this, um, to the angel of the church of Ephesus, uh, I guess we'd write there, uh, uh, Revelation 2 there. Um, we know the church of Ephesus existed. We have the book of Ephesians, and it's interesting. We don't read about the other books except for the last one of the churches that he mentions there. Um, so we have the church of Ephesus. You have the church of Smyrna, the church of Pergamos, the church of Thyatira, the church of Sardis, the church of Philadelphia, and Laodicea. We read about Ephesus that we're pretty familiar with, and we read about Laodicea. It's kind of two bookends there. Um, and it's interesting. Those, those seven churches there, they also follow kind of dispensationally, but that, that's a different sermon altogether. But you kind of, kind of see the time frames. They kind of overlap, but you see that time frame just happening there. And they also tie in kind of uh, to the parables mentioned. But um, just looking at the churches and what, God has, or what Jesus has to say to them, what's, what's interesting about this church of Ephesus is what they get wrong. They leave their first love. And that's kind of like the, the walking the dog when we should be in our Bible study. It's something they were probably doing something pretty accurate, pretty right, but they just let something shift their focus from focusing on Jesus. And, and it's easy to do. If, uh, if our pastor, he likes taking care of his grandchildren, if he lets that get in the way of his ministry of feeding the flock, at that point it gets, becomes wrong. And there's nothing wrong with feed, uh, taking care of the grandchildren. That, that's honorable until it becomes not. Um, and that's some, somehow that's what the Church of Ephesus does. But uh, we read there, to the angel of the Church of Ephesus, to the pastor of the Church of Ephesus, these things... He who holds the seven stars in his right hand, so that's, that's Jesus there, who walks amidst the, uh, amidst the seven golden lampstands. I know your works, I know your labors, I know your patience, that you cannot bear those who are evil. So they hate evil, so they're doing that right. You have tested those who say they are apostles and are not, so they did that right. We read about that in Acts, that they'll, uh, those wolves will come among them. Um, they, they listened to Paul there, we, we, and we should be grateful for that. And they found in them liars. And you have persevered and have patience and have labored in my, for my name's sake and have not become weary. And that's what we're to do. Nevertheless, I have this against you, that you left your first love. And what's their first love? Their first love is Jesus. Somehow they took another headship. They, they, they got their focus off of Jesus, whatever that looked like. Remember wherefore you have fallen. They needed to remember back to that place that they had. And repent. He just wants them to repent and go back. Um, These are the first works, or else I will come to you quickly and remove your lampstand. Uh, from its place, unless you repent. But this you have, that you hate the deeds of the Nicolaitans, which I also hate. Um, 
So they hate some of the things that we'll see in Christianity that are morally wrong, that these people, the Nicolaitans, is kind of hard to understand. It's almost like they were men proclaiming, proclaiming that they knew the word of God better than the word of God. And people were looking to men to get their headship, looking at men to uh, be able to declare the gospel. And that's wrong. We need to be looking to Christ. We need to be looking to our Bible. Um, so they hated that. You'll read about one of these other churches that embraces as a full-blown doctrine. And you're like, whoa, that's way wrong. And we see that in Christendom today. Like, oh, let's not look at what the uh, Bible says. What, what does this group of uh, uh, people say here, over here, what, when they can dictate what to do? Uh, maybe it's wrong to, uh, this is an easy one to point from, maybe it's wrong to eat meat on Fridays. I think that was a belief of one area of Christianity for a little while there, that, oh, we can't eat meat on Fridays, it's morally wrong. That's not in the Bible. That's not scripture. There's these people that they're looking to to believe it, the um, Nicodelaitan kind of attitude there, that, oh, let's get our gospel from them and not the word of God, and that's wrong. And the, the Ephesians hated that. And God blessed them for, agreed with them, like, hey, that's wrong. Um, we kind of read that in 1 Corinthians 1, uh, 1 12 there, uh, where we read about the I am of Paul or I am of Apollos. That's not what we were to do. There's one body, um, and Christ is the head of it. Uh, and that leaving your first love, that's just that headship there. Um, Going to that second church there. Oh, I guess the other thing I want to point out there. Um, he wants us to listen to the Spirit. We absolutely have to listen to the Spirit. We have to let the Holy Spirit move in our lives and uncover the, uh, uh, that, that gospel there. But the next church we read about is the Church of Smyrna. And Smyrna, they embrace a ton of persecution, but we will read, God doesn't say repent or else. God blessed them. They're, well, we, they definitely had a huge amount of overcoming they took the gospel and their persecution amazingly well um, and we'll, we'll read about that it says uh, there uh, verse 8 there to the angel of the lord uh, in smyrna right so that's to the pastor of the uh, church of smyrna these things says the first and the last he who was dead and has come to life i know your works tribulation poverty but you are rich we'll stop there they were rich in god they were rich in the word there they had that right We'll pick up here next week and we'll go through the rest of those. But I just want us to realize we need to welcome the judgment of God, the judgment of Jesus. It's good in our lives. That that perfecting, we always need to welcome it. It can become hard for us to wrap our minds around sometimes. But we need to get to that place in our walk where we agree with Christ on everything.